It's good to be with you, those of you here, those of you anywhere in, in the world. And, and yes, Jonathan, it's an um, interesting collection of stories in that Bible reading, but it seemed to me that they really say something to us about the choices we make, and the first Sunday of the year is a time of choices. A story. You will know it, many of you, I think. 1284, the town of Hamelin was suffering a plague of rats. rats. Uh, the council tried everything to get rid of them and just nothing worked. And so finally the mayor promised 1,000 florins to anyone who could end the plague. A stranger dressed in bright red and yellow clothes, and I do think it sounds like Ronald McDonald, who's, I think, equally scary. We were talking the other day, actually. We actually went to McDonald's, not by my choice. I would never go there, but a friend. Support your friends. And we noticed that all those plastic figurines of Ronald McDonald sitting on a bench have gone. Have you seen one of those lately? They were really scary. Anyway, so, stranger dressed in bright red and yellow clothes came and said, I can do it. And at night, the stranger started to play a soft tune on his flute, luring all the rats out of the houses and the barns, out of the town into the river vessel where they drowned. Now, the mayor refused to pay. He said, playing a tune is not worth a thousand florins. He said, get out, get out of Hamlin. The piper returned on Sunday morning when all the grown-ups were in church. Now, see, that's a funny part of the story. Why weren't the kids in church? I don't know. Anyway, he played his flute and all the children followed him out of town towards the mountains. A cave opened up in the mountain. They walked in. Children never, ever seen again in that town. That's an awful story, isn't it? Horrific. It really is very, very uh, tragic and so on. And it says something quite strong about injustice. And it actually says something about Matthew 11, which is why I used it. Let me reread a little bit of it from 20 to 24. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day instead of being destroyed. But I tell you, that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So what's the connection? The connection is that Hamlin actually saw a miracle. A miracle that no one else could work. This person could do it. But they refused the right response to the miracle. And the towns mentioned in scripture had seen amazing miracles but they didn't respond with the right response either of thankfulness to God and of honouring God for what they'd seen before their eyes and in their families. So this section of Matthew's Gospel is about people's response to Jesus. And I think that's the perfect thing to do 
after Christmas and as the new year starts. When Jonathan asked me to preach today, a few weeks ago, and I began to think about it, I heard someone speaking on the radio and they made this comment. They said it takes just as much energy to live a life of thanklessness as it does to live a life of gratitude. It takes just as much energy to be thankless as it does to be full of gratitude. You know, a person has to work really hard to live a life where they're not grateful for anything at all. If they worked as hard at being grateful, I reckon their life would be quite different. They'd have a lot more friends they'd be easier to be with. Likewise, some people say it takes a lot more effort to scowl than it does to smile. Now, I always assumed that is correct, but I did some research, and some medical people aren't so sure about that, but I don't want to ruin my story. (laughs) My granddaughter was really frowning one day. You know, people go through stages in life, and, you know, there are stages where you scowl more than other stages. And her mother had said something to her, and there was a full-blown scowl. And I said to her, do you know that... It takes a lot more effort to frown than it does to smile. And she really tried to hold it, but she couldn't. And she admitted perfectly that it did take a lot of energy to scowl. And she could have used that energy in a different way. So Jesus encountered a whole lot of people who really didn't want to join in. People who wanted to frown at him. People who wanted to look down their nose at him, people who wanted to scowl, who didn't like what he was doing. So in Matthew 11, we find all of these responses to Jesus. You might want to read it when you go home. The first one, now we haven't read this because it would have been perhaps too long, was John the Baptist. And he hears about Jesus and his response is open-minded. So at the beginning of Matthew 11, we read this. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or shall we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good Jesus proclaimed to the poor, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Because later in the chapter, there's a lot of stumbling because of who Jesus is. But John is open. And elsewhere in the Bible he says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Now this doesn't diminish John. It just puts him in the place where he can find the most abundant life. Now others have such a strong view of the Messiah that they cannot cope with either John or Jesus. John's far too austere and threatening. He's obviously a freak. Jesus, on the other hand, is too flamboyant. He's celebrating life, he's preaching, he's drinking, and perhaps worst of all, he's forgiving and welcoming outcasts. The image is really powerful. And it's one of the reasons I also started with a story, a story about music. How ironic it is that all the adults are in church, but they can't hear the music. But the kids can. Jesus also chooses a parable that's about music. It's about how powerful music is. And you'll know when you hear different sorts of music that immediately has an impact on you. I'm going to call up a maestro. Give us the first set and uh, see, see what your heart does. 
when you hear when you hear this. to you yeah what else what other feelings sad I'm imagining a movie set a score this is a score to a film you could imagine and for me something sad's going on there and you can feel the person can't you feeling that sadness give us another one the direction what did you feel in that as soon as you do that little transition what did you do then you straight away you went up it's so powerful what are you laughing at Bailey? that was good oh okay thanks Ethan that was good <laughs> better than the first service oh, oh. only a brother could <clears throat> anyway but you see hymns and songs they do things to us they touch our hearts I mean, those of you who play music, you, you'll know this through your fingers or whatever. Or well, those of you who sing, you'll know that. If it's sad, you know, you can, you know, like someone who has, has died or it's a tough time, it's those sad songs or tones that make us cry. And we can't stop it. But then we can be lifted too by another piece of music. Now, one step further. You know what kids are like. They react spontaneously. They don't necessarily stop and ask if their reactions are appropriate or not. They don't choose their words. There's a, there's a freedom about them. You know, if someone flicks detergent in their eyes, I say, you idiot! Whereas we might soften that slightly. But you get the full response from them. And when they hear music, they move too. And the Wiggles have got a lot to answer for. But I, I remember uh, one of my sons, actually chose, you know, got a few examples from the family here, I hope they're not listening. Uh, one of my sons, um, this shows my age, uh, listening to Midnight Oil, beds are burning, and he would go right next to the speaker box and dance. And he could not stop dancing till that stop, that song finished. So it just moved him. So Jesus saying, how ridiculous it is that we would play pipes for you but you won't dance. How ridiculous is it that we would play dirges, we would play sad funeral songs, and you won't cry? Can you hear the energy of resistance there? Worse than that, you're like children, that, even children that won't respond. How can it be? And I think this is the final reference to my family. Some years ago, Eric Clapton wrote a song which I think was called Tears of Heaven, Tears from Heaven or Tears of Heaven. Do you remember that? Which was about the death of his young son. So he fell from a balcony and died. And my youngest would hear that song and he would hear it way before he knew the meaning of the words and he would cry. Soon as he heard those notes, his, te- his eyes would fill with tears because he could feel the pain of the father. 
In Palestine, people dance at weddings. When the music starts, they move. In Palestine, people weep at funerals. It would be incomprehensible to them to be at a funeral and not cry. It would be incomprehensible to be at, say, a wedding party and not dance. And Jesus is saying to hear the music of the kingdom of God and not let it change your life is like children in the marketplace who develop the most wonderful, interesting game and the kids sit on the side and refuse to play. Once again, you can feel the resistance. So chapter 11 of Matthew says, there's a lot of resistance about Jesus. We can talk about him at a safe distance. We can have ideas about him at a safe distance. We can stay in theory. But actually, he wants the heart to respond. Jeremiah says it in another way, so a really old uh, part of the Bible. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. You know, there's a choice before us. There's a choice before us every day. There's a choice before us at the start of every year. And one of those is about how we respond to Jesus. Will we be resistant or will we be open to what Jesus has for us. A few years ago, I heard a story in the ABC about a Mennonite man who, who lived in a community in Georgia. Well, Georgia's become quite famous during the presidential election and even now with, a, with the ongoing elections there. It's a mixed community of black and white. And there was a Mennonite man uh, there who treated black Americans as equals. And though I don't like the word, the community called him a nigger lover. Now one result was that the white community then stepped away from him. They, they refused to deliver gas to him even in winter. Cold shoulder, isn't it? And the man went to his brother who was a member of the legislature and said, isn't there something you can do? And his brother said, no, you've already caused me enough trouble. I want to get re-elected. And there's, I think, a fair bit of that happening in America too in fear of Donald Trump. And the man said to his brother, aren't you a Christian? Didn't we get baptised on the same day? Surely as a Christian you will help. And very carefully and you know, with, with, with some weight to it, the man's brother said, you and I are different. You're a follower of Jesus. I am an admirer. The distance is huge. And so during the week I heard another story, another faith story. It was about someone who had been actively involved in church for a long time and youth groups and other things. Went to NCYC, some of you may know, National Christian Youth Convention, a national meeting in the Uniting Church of younger people. And he heard someone speak and the person said, it's time to get serious about your faith. And he heard it. He changed. His life was transformed. See, there are really good reasons in Matthew 11 why we should respond to Jesus. And the first is this. No one knows the Father except through the Son. If you want to know God, you've got to go through Jesus. I mean, you can know God in other ways, through the Spirit and whatever, but that's the easy way. Go through Jesus. The second thing is that many things in life place great burdens on us, and we can reflect on the last year, but 
Jesus' burden is gentle and light and it's there where you find rest for your souls. The message version, I love it. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How attractive is that? Eugene Peterson wrote a book uh, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction and I think it's actually a beautiful description of discipleship but obedience in Western culture has a lot of negativity to it. Uh, But when, when you hear that message version I just said, there's not constraint in there. Obedience brings freedom and it brings life. There's nothing you're fitting. There's a lightness. And that's what we're called into. I led a funeral service um, the week before Christmas for a man called Peter. Uh, and uh, one of the stories that came out of the eulogy I thought fitted perfectly to today. His, his wife told it. She, she, she just gave a beautiful eulogy. I don't know how she did it, but she did. And she told the story of how they both went to a work function And it turned out that when they arrived for dinner, there was a belly dancer. Now, in the previous service, there's someone who got a belly dancing book for Christmas. And had I known, no, probably not in church, but (laughs) maybe maybe some other time. Anyway, there was a belly dancer. So this woman danced around, doing what she does. And then she began to look around the audience. And you could see she was thinking, Jonathan, no. No. She saw Peter and said, and Peter leapt to his feet and he went and danced in a full body way. Nothing held back. Just totally, totally enjoyed it. And so did everyone else watching him. And there was a sense I got in that eulogy that all those in the audience actually wanted to be up there too. They wanted to join the dance and enjoy life. So as we start this year, I'm asking you to to dare getting out of your seats and to dance, to dare move with the Spirit. Don't worry about what people look at you. I heard Nicholas Spurrier the other day, one of our champions, saying, look, you don't look like a fool with a mask on. You look like a champion. You look like you're doing something good. Well, that's what will happen when you get out of your chair and you dance with Jesus. We got communion today and it seemed to Jonathan and I that this was the be- that was the best way to respond to choosing Jesus. So I'll hand over to, to Jonathan, he can lead us.